and welcome to a special edition of our show, Herstory on the Rocks, with Katie and Allie. Normally, it would just be Allie and I hanging out, having a couple of cocktails, and talking about famous women in history, but sometimes we like to talk to people who are currently writing about history. We have a very special guest here with us today, Kelly O'Connor McNeese. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here. Kelly is an award-winning author who looks through the eyes of women in history to give us a view of what life was like while they were living. Today, she's here to talk to us about her newest book, The Myth of Surrender. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I've been a, a writer for a very long time. Um, I have been, you know, always interested, especially in women's stories. Um, and my first novel came out in 2010. And it was called The Last Summer of Louisa May Alcott. It was interested in a chapter of her life that historians don't know that much about, which is why it's called The Lost Summer. Uh, and I just had a really great time creating a fiction to sort of fill that gap in the record. Uh, and that sort of got me hooked on historical fiction. So all of my novels have been historical, uh, set in different time periods. But what sort of ties them all together, as you said, is they all concern the stories of women. Perfect. Well, we're really excited to get into this book, but of course we have a cocktail that we made for it. Um, <laughs> I so, can't wait to see what it is. <laughs> this one had to be a challenge. <laughs> yes. Um, so it's obviously called The Myth of Surrender, and we decided to make kind of a strawberry pecan old-fashioned. So it is a bourbon, pecan simple syrup, strawberry simple syrup, and we top it all off with club soda and put a little bitters in there. And a maraschino cherry. And a maraschino cherry. And that's it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so cheers. Sounds delicious. I will be taking the recipe for that. Thank okay. you. <laughs> Good. One thing that we were looking at is this book is set in a very like Mad Men-esque era. And it was like, well, they love their bourbon. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So let's get started with the setting of your book, since that's what we're talking about with the drink. Can you set the scene for when your book is taking place and what life was like for women during what's called the baby scoop era? Mm -hmm. So the myth of surrender takes place between 1960 and 67. And just to give you a sense of, of that era, uh, we have to think access to birth control was really limited. Um, especially for women to go to a doctor to get birth control, you had to be married. If you were unmarried, a doctor probably wouldn't give it to you. It was not widely, widely available. Uh, this is before the passage of Roe v. Wade. So women's reproductive choices and just control over their lives was pretty limited. Um, it was also a time when sex ed was very limited. And so there were a lot of young people who did not understand how they could get pregnant. Um, and so we can, it doesn't take a lot to figure out what that leads to. So um, this was a time of massive teen pregnancy um, and also a time of massive repression and social consequences for pregnancy out of wedlock. And that those two things combined created a demand for a place for girls and young women to go to take care of this problem in private. Um, and because abortion wasn't a thing for most people, for wealthy people it was, but for middle class and, and working class people, it wasn't an option. And so the baby scoop era is this time in which um, 
hundreds of these maternity homes sprung up across the country and they were run by churches and Salvation Army and other kinds of organizations. And it was a place where you could go when you were pregnant and be, you know, live there and get medical care um, and then give birth either there or in a nearby hospital and surrender your baby for adoption. Most people did, some people kept their babies, but most women went with the idea that they were going to surrender the baby. Um, that idea was put in their head a lot of times by priests or parents. It wasn't necessarily something that they actively chose and the way that they felt about it changed you know, over time as they got closer to the birth and a lot of them had second thoughts and it was very difficult then to change your mind and decide to keep, keep your baby. Um, so that's sort of where, where we were. And of course, you know, just the culture at the time was very focused on um, appearances and it was very important for middle-class families to sort of hold on to their status as middle-class having an unwed pregnancy in your family was such a social stigma that it they were willing to do just about anything to conceal that and and make that young woman pay just about any price to maintain their reputation in the community with their church with their friends um yeah it was a very different it's hard to imagine that time given how we live now and people can be so open about all kinds of things that are going on in their lives this was just a time where people did not talk about anything yeah mm -hmm. i mean i feel a definite connection with this because my great-grandmother literally sitting on a stoop in baltimore city had to ask her neighbor how she got pregnant she had no idea and she was married at like 19. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And then uh, my aunt was a part of this era in particular where, yeah, mm -hmm. she got pregnant in high school and went away and no one in the family knew until wow. it resurfaced. Like, was it like 30 years later, mm -hmm. which is really, wow. yeah. Um, and I would love to get into, cause obviously this did happen to so many mm -hmm. women. And so but yours is obviously historical fiction. So let's get into the main characters, uh, Doreen and Margie. Um, who are they? What is their life like? Uh, and they meet in the home, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, as I was thinking about, you know, reading about this era and trying to think about how, how to come at it through a novel. And what I love about novels is that they can take something, they can take a historical time period or a big event that involved a lot of different people and a lot of different experiences and kind of zero in on seeing that time period through the eyes of one individual or a couple individuals. And so one of the things I thought was so interesting was the anonymity of the, the maternity homes. You know, you, you didn't use your real name. You were supposed to not share any identifying details. But then I thought, you know, but these girls were roommates and they were teenage girls. So of course they're going to become friends or hate each other, or, you know, there was going to be some kind of emotional interaction there. So I thought it could be really interesting to have two girls coming from very different backgrounds, um, you know, sort of forced into this small space together and what might happen that would connect their lives so that when they left, you know, they wouldn't just leave each other behind and there would be something that would tie them together. Because when you go through something like this, you know, no one else who hasn't been through it can possibly understand what it's like. And they really bond, even though they're from very different backgrounds, they really bond 
over that shared, you know, experience. So Jane is Little Italy in Chicago from Taylor Street. Uh, her family had immigrated. Her father passed away. They don't have very much money. Um, she's much more sort of making the decision to go on her own. In fact, her family doesn't really want her to go. Um, she also is keeping the secret of who the father of the baby is. Uh, she's got big plans for her future. So she sees this as just kind of a bump in the road. And then Margie is a much more of a, a good girl. She's from a suburb. Um, she's from a very buttoned up place and a very conservative family. She's really concerned a lot more with her parents' approval. She's very naive about her body and how all of this even happened to her in the first place. And, and it wasn't from a, an enjoyable experience that she ended up being pregnant. So they're both coming at it with different ideas about what it means for them and for their future. And um, it was fun to kind of imagine like how they would get to know each other and what might be sources of conflict between them. Mm. I think one really interesting thing is that even though these girls are coming from different families and different backgrounds, they have this shared idea of cultural shame. Like, mm. how did they experience that shame differently within the book? Mm, that's so interesting. You know, I think it, it's the intersection of patriarchy and class, right? So mm. on the one hand, it didn't matter, you know, if you were a rich woman or a poor woman, there were a lot of things expected of you uh, just because you were a woman that you were supposed to feel a certain way about getting married. You're supposed to feel a certain way about having children and being proper and, uh, you know, not breaking the rules, but then there's, that is mediated, I guess you would say by your class status and the, the, higher class you were economically, the more there was at stake, you know, for your family in terms of their reputation and being sort of shunned. And I think there was a bigger difference between the city and the suburbs too, because in the suburbs, it was very homogenous. It was very white. It was a Catholic, you know, parish and everybody knows everybody's business. And, you know, you would be responsible for bringing a lot of shame on your family in that environment. In the city, I think there was more, you know, acceptance of different kinds of lives. And this was, you know, 19, early 60s. So things were kind of starting to change. I also think, just think their personalities. Some people are just more tolerant of being, you know, different and they don't worry as much about what other people think. They just have that inherent confidence. And I think Doreen, that's how I envisioned her. Um, so some of it's individual, but a lot of it was definitely due to the, the circumstances that they were in. Mm -hmm. And how did your relationship to the characters change as you wrote the book? You know, did you find yourself halfway through, like kind of writing a sentence like, oh, Doreen would never say that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good question. Um, starting out, it was much easier to, it was more fun to write Doreen because she's like mouthy. She says what, you know, what uh, you might be afraid to say in real life. She's afraid to say. So it's always fun to write a character like that um, and who's really active and like had a big temper and, you know, she's always making decisions and moving forward. Margie was much more interior and um, conflicted, you know, and so sometimes with a character like that, it can be hard for there to feel like there's momentum with their plot thread, because especially when you're, I have alternating um point of view between the two characters and so when you're moving back and forth and where it's like all of Doreen's chapters are a lot of action happening but then Margie's chapters are a lot more like 
her ruminating on what's happening or worrying about what's going to happen, you can have like a, it gets out of balance um, with the story, not feeling like it has enough momentum in both threads. But the, the longer that I worked on it, the more like I started to really love Margie and just feel an emotional connection to her. I feel like there's part of me in both of them. Um, and so I could relate to sort of both, uh, responses to the situation. Like, I hope I would be a Doreen, but I would probably more likely be a Margie, you know, <laughs> going through that and just, you know, how hard she took everything and how, how depressed and, and just she was about what she was going through. Um, it's very easy to see how that would be an experience that you would have in that situation. Mm. And when people sit down to read this book, what what main themes and ideas do you want them to walk away with? Like what emotional connections do you want them to have? I think this is an era that has started to get a little bit more attention. I've seen more things written about it during the years that I have been working on this book. But I think a lot of people do not know that this happened, depending on when you were born or whether you have a relative. I have someone in my family through this too. And so I always knew about it because of that. But, you know, if you didn't have that personal connection, it's possible you don't even know this happened. And so I want people, I want the awareness of this as a, as a chapter in our country's history to be uh, more widespread. And I want people to reflect on the connections. I mean, my hope would be that people would not see this as a frozen chapter in time that is that is over, because I think there's a lot of connections to things that we're dealing with still questions about how much control women should have over their lives and what the laws in our country should look like to ensure that women have uh, equal protection to determine the future of their lives and what kind of lives they want to lead. And we see right now there are cases that, you know, are calling into question access to vital health care, such as abortion and contraception. And I don't want, you know, I think a lot of women my age and younger have taken for granted that these things always be available to women uh, and that we would have control over our futures. And if, and those are not certain. I mean, those things could be taken away and it has very real consequences for all women, but particularly women of color and more vulnerable uh, people on the economic scale who do not have as much uh, economic power. It, it's, these are real, real things that we need to understand the depths of. So I don't think we're ever going to go back to the baby scoop era. I don't think we're ever going to go back to maternity homes. But I do think that uh, it's worth remembering that a lot of people have fought hard to change the trajectory for women. And, it, and we could lose ground on that. Well, I just got chills. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously, like, as we're talking about these places were real, and I would love to know, um, did you mm -hmm. research any real maternity homes? And was were some of the things based off of these real places or the characters based off of real people? I mean, what was the research process like? Yeah, so um, I think part of what makes this kind of a hidden chapter in history is that those uh, homes over time, like once Roe passed, so that was 1973, there was an immediate drop in teen pregnancy. Like the demand for these homes went away pretty much. Um, and so 
all of these probably hundreds of these across the country or at least a hundred and they repurposed those buildings you know and so then they they started using those facilities for different things other kinds of social service things a lot of the uh Crittenden was another organization and they just changed their mission a little bit so they started you know doing providing more services to single mothers or you know and good things like a lot of things that were were positive a positive shift in the emphasis you know that they started to understand that that there were other there were other better ways to support women if it's actually the goal um and so you know they aren't recognizable today it's not like where you can go look at a museum of a house or something like that and see what it was like at the time and the reason i say all that is like i think that's part of why we don't know that much about this era because all of the physical you know spaces um are not there for us to look at there are also not very many photos of these places because privacy was such a huge deal and so they if they ever ran you know they would run newspaper articles about the Florence Crittenden home in St Paul or something like that and they would show a girl like in shadow window you know but they would never show the inside house looked like hardly ever sometimes they would do like they would line the nuns up and the nuns would be holding all the babies but you would never see the pictures of the women you know because they wanted to keep their identities hidden so it's an interesting challenge for for research um standpoint because you you can't go visit it like a museum but i was able thankfully uh some historians have preserved oral history interviews with uh birth mothers who wanted to talk about their experience so i was able to read a lot of those and that was so eye opening because oh for so many reasons i mean they told a lot of details about what the day day to day was like you know how they ate their food where they what they did for fun you know what were the rules about could they go out for the day like i have a scene where they go to the movies and they did have rules like you had to wear a wedding ring you know so if anyone saw you in town they would assume you were a married woman because you just couldn't be out walking around with a big belly and no wedding ring on um really really strict some were less strict some were abusive some were just hard and you know difficult but not abusive um I pulled a lot of details from the oral histories and uh they you know people's experiences were sort of all over the map. Some people had okay experiences, you know, but a lot of people had really traumatic experiences. And a lot of the women, you know, at the time went along with it because there was so much pressure on them and then it wasn't until like years later that they looked back and realized like with the the regret of what they had done. and shame that they had been able to make a different choice. So it was really heartbreaking reading those. Yeah, and in that same vein, did you have a part that was like the hardest for you to write or like a part that was the easiest? Like it was the easiest to get through and it just flew out of your um hands while you were typing. Um the scene where Margie gives birth was very hard to write. Yeah. Um and for anyone who hasn't read the book um you know the the women who were taken to the hospital that were coming from the maternity home were given really different treatment than a typical married pregnant woman would have been given everything from getting a room to getting anesthesia being denied um just a a check in from the doctor you know they would be saying i think the baby's crowning and the doctor would say sure sure we'll get to you when you know or stop complaining or whatever um i mean yeah so that was really hard to write about what that 
must have been like for them. So to be totally alone, she's 17 years old, nobody's there, her mom's not there, you know, she has to go through this completely by herself. And then the moment where uh, she wakes up, because at that time it was common to be under the highlight, um, and basically the doctor would pull the baby out of you, you were not involved in in pushing the baby out with your own muscles. And so you would wake up to find a baby. Um, and in her case, you know, woke up and the baby was gone. So that, that was very hard to write that scene. Um, if you, I don't know if you all have kids, I have a daughter who's 10. So just to think about, that's like an unthinkable thing. So that was the hardest for sure. I'm trying to think of the, I think as I uh, knew I wanted it to end, and so there's a, an experience when you're getting close to the end of a draft and you can feel that like downhill feeling, like, you know, where you're, you know, where it's headed and you know, like the five things that have to happen between where you are and where you get there. And so you do really pick up speed uh, at the end and the end didn't really change. You know, I made a lot of revisions to other parts, but the end was, was, you know, I knew where I wanted, wanted them to end up. So yeah. Perfect. Well, we can't wait for our readers to buy your book and read it and learn about this very unknown part of history uh, and figure out what happens to Doreen and Margie in the end, because um, it sounds fantastic. So where can people find you and this book um, and anything else that you've written? Yeah, so uh, my website is kellyoconnormcnice.com. I'm also on Instagram under the same name. Um, and you can find out more there about all my books. And um, I'm just so happy to connect with your readers. Thank you so much for your attention to this. <laughs>